How does it feel to add another notch, another <laughs> hole to our gold star bad movie episodes? <laughs> I went I went oh. back through to see how many of the capital B bad movies we've done. Troll two. And that's I mean it's you know so bad that it's good. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think you could argue that for most of these. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely there's definitely like a late night, midnight market for Mac and Me, I'd imagine, thanks to Paul Rudd. I think you could see Troll 2, The Room, and Mac and Me are all so bad it's good. Sure. If that's your thing. If that's your thing. Um, maybe even... Why is it that we've now been doing the show long enough that I have a nostalgia for Battlefield Earth? When did that I, happen? You know, I was listening to the new last podcast on the left. They're talking about oh, da- sure. they're talking about David Miscavige, and they touched a little bit on how nobody knows that there was originally an attempt to do Battlefield Earth back in the eighties. And it's like we knew, we knew, we covered that. <laughs> and so, yeah, I I'll had... text Marcus later. <laughs> <laughs> so I. um yeah, like I, I, for whatever reason, I look back on that fondly. Yeah. Uh, somebody else mentioned something about Forrest Whitaker earlier today. I went, oh, <laughs> he was so good in Battlefielder. <laughs> I didn't he, say that aloud, thank no, you. No, 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 you would get stabbed. Um, <laughs> I, I was, I've been playing Jedi Fallen Order and he pops oh up my for God. a hot second. Oh, yeah, he does have a little bit of Sagarera yeah. moment in there. And I was like, ah, drink your sweet Carbango, Sagarera. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, and then, of course, we also did Saving Christmas, which is oh, not not so bad as good. No, that's just terrible. It's it hurts. Yeah, um, never again. So uh, yeah, I'm glad we we got to to cover this one. I don't, I honestly, <laughs> I I don't know what other really like well known terrible movie is that's left. We I think we did the big ones. Um, there's still some out there. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, we'll do some digging and find something fun for season three. I mean, this director alone has also done Taming the T-Rex, which is oh, maybe really? not, it's not as well known as Mac and me. Sure. But it's, <laughs> I've at least heard the title before. One, there's two cuts of it. What? There's, I just found this out. There's a director's cut of Tammy in the T-Rex? I don't know if it's director's cut, but it's it's the cut that they left all the gore in. Oh, God. So, <laughs> it's like, you know, he is a T-Rex. Uh, well, so, you got yeah, us you know, there. There are hopes for season three in terrible movies. <laughs> okay. Um, hey, welcome to Drazzled, the podcast that takes award-winning worst films and fixes them. I'm host Jack Culbertson. Here's Suffer Alongside Me, as always, is also host Joe Nealis. Hi, everybody. Joe, we've kind of already touched on this, but what was your first exposure to Mac and Me? Oh, it was 100%. Um, I can't even pinpoint the first time that I actually saw this happen because I've been watching Conan O'Brien since I was like 11. Sure. Uh, like I would like, especially in the summers, like I have very fond memories of staying up late at night in the summer uh, in my basement bedroom just watching talk shows like I would stay up to watch Leno and especially Conan and Paul Rudd would inevitably come on at some points. And anytime 
that he was plugging a movie and claimed that he had a clip, it would inevitably <laughs> be this yeah. clip from Mac and me. And the whole shtick is that Paul Rudd doesn't acknowledge that that's right. what's happening. It's just it's a little a little prank he's playing on Conan O'Brien, and it's a bit that he's held onto for years, for including. Years. Including on His Conan's podcast. fucking podcast. He did it in an audio medium. <laughs> respect. Full respect. I absolutely, like, commitment to the bit like none other. Like, yeah. good lord, man. Uh, I though, was... though, as good as that one was, my favorite is probably uh, in the last week of Conan's time on television sure. when he did the one with Bill Hader. Where Hader was telling a story <laughs> right. where he he was doing oh a, 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 a really shitty skit with Paul Rudd, and he was saying that Paul wasn't doing a voice properly. And then Paul Rudd walks out in a tuxedo and pulls up a chair next to him <laughs> yeah. and is like, how dare you? I did the voice. I did the thing. Like, it was just a bad – it was it was a terrible skit. And it just so happens I've got footage of it because they keep the cameras rolling right. for those dress rehearsals. Here it is. And then Mac and me. <laughs> right. But, like, the look on Bill Hader's face is he's like, oh. Fuck. Yeah, he knows it's coming. <laughs> uh, that was that was really good. Um, I was aware of the movie kind of like floating around in existence, but it it didn't really. Same for me. Like I I saw Paul Rudd showing it to Conan. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I would I would have no. I mean, aside from having now seen the movie, right. I would have no. I would have no grounding for what the fuck this that this movie even was. <laughs> I think I had seen the poster at one point. And I was like, oh, this looks like a terrible movie from the 80s. Sure. Wonderful. <laughs> Fantastic. I've been really excited to get to this part because uh, we haven't had a movie. Uh, a lot of the movies we've been doing lately are a little newer and don't have the history. True. To look into. Yeah. It has, yeah as, as much as I like a lot of our recent episodes, I have kind of missed that aspect of it. Like, there's not, there hasn't been as much like shit to dig into. Probably Showgirls was the last one that had like a decent amount of stuff to look into. And even, I would even that, that, it was like not a whole lot. Yeah. Nothing is really compared to Mommy Dearest on that front oh this my season. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, so the first person, probably the one, the person most responsible for this movie is rj lewis who's the producer on the film okay is he uh, the producer who was responsible for like having an actual like wheelchair user as a uh, yes. as a star mm -hmm. okay he, he's uh, of the people i'm going to list here i'm conflicted because he'll say one thing where i'm like well that's admirable hmm. but then he still does like sleazy producer shit yeah so i'm like okay well which of this is it it doesn't matter sure so he wanted to do specifically mac and me for quote unquote for charity um this is six years removed ish from et yes he's like this new generation needs their et <laughs> yeah because we're that far and removed I, like i'm like I, I know generations is a little bit of a loose <laughs> thing but you know now that world war ii is over i think that this <laughs> this generation needs their own pinocchio yeah like, what what are you fucking talking about uh, you know, 9-11 was yesterday. We need a new Battlefield Earth. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? God, I was just reading about Spielberg's, like, best to worst films. And they were kind of marking, like, 9-11 as, like, a turning point for him. I mean, as it was for... As it was for... Yeah. yeah a, lo a lot of people. Uh, it was a thing. It was, it was a bit of a thing. I'm like, oh, yeah. Kind of a to-do. Looking at the whole list, I, I can kind of see it now. Yeah. What was his first movie post-9-11? Was it War of the Worlds? 
want to say. No, that tracks. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Yeah, could right. be wrong. <laughs> anyway, R.J. Lewis. <laughs> uh, so he already had a relationship with the McDonald's company. What was that? Uh, he had done a number of commercials for them. Oh, okay. Yeah, that. I mean, that makes sense. So he wanted to get funding from McDonald's directly to make this movie. Didn't quite happen, kind of. Okay, that's he suspect. Got, well, and I, I don't know what I, – I thought I knew what the difference is, but now I don't know because he got the funding from the people who distribute the – the meat to McDonald's, which is called <laughs> Golden State Foods. However, it's not like like we've both worked in food. You, you worked in food. I, I bust tables at a college sure. at a college cafeteria. Right. That's like yeah. there's like the the big food distributors. Right. Yeah. Like you have different companies that that bring you particular things. Like you yeah. have uh, you'll have your your Coke and your Pepsi distributors or whatever. You'll have the people who bring in the meats, the people who bring in the dairy, the yeah. people who bring in yeah, so on and so forth. So that that's what I had in mind when I read about Golden State Foods. But that's uh, kind of the case, but not really. Okay. Because the only people they distribute to is McDonald's. Oh, so they're kind of like that company that does all of their ice cream machines. Yes. Okay. Their CEO's name is Jim Williams. So basically when Daddy McDonald's said no, he went to Mommy McDonald's. <laughs> and, and, Ask your mother. Yeah. <laughs> So anytime he needed something that was like McDonald's related, like a location uh-huh. that was a McDonald's and, you know, Ronald McDonald, he went to Jim Williams who liked him. Okay. And mommy McDonald's gave it to him. Huh. Including a, a sizable amount of money. So I guess, I guess that begs the question because like, one of the ways that McDonald's makes like the vast majority of its money is the real estate on which the locations are built on. Yeah. Like they make they actually make slightly more money in rent from their franchisees than they that do from the actual sense. food yeah. they sell. Uh it's a whole thing. There's YouTube videos about it. Uh huh. there's also a lot of YouTube videos about their fucking ice cream machines always being broken. Anyway, <laughs> that begs the question for me, like, does Golden State Foods own certain franchises that they were able That's to make that question. work? Yeah, I don't know. Because otherwise, how would they have the rights to like do that? Well, there is one last connection. Okay. So, R.J. Lewis, the producer, sure, buddied up to Jim Williams, the CEO of Golden State Foods. Okay. And because McDonald's only gets food from Golden State Foods, they they're like, okay, well, we got to stay on good terms with our only food distributor. Okay. So they're like. Fine. You can make your little movie. The only thing you can't do is put Ronald in the movie. Oh, but. But that happened. But that definitely happened. They, there's, a, there's a Ronald <laughs> in there for happened. a little bit. And he seems happy to be uh, there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was. He was. Uh, yeah. I just have a little clip on him. So that was specifically Squire Friedel, who was. I've heard that name. Really? Yeah. I, well, he has done other stuff. Um, but I think I've heard that name specifically in relation to Ronald McDonald, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken. He was Ronald McDonald from 1985 to 1991. Yes. Okay. Um, and I imagine with the way the commercials worked at that time, we probably were seeing commercials with him for years. Or, yeah. Or at least like the four, like some of the, like some of the moments where we were starting to form memories yeah. as like three year olds, we could have potentially seen him. There's also a point where. And I'll, I don't know if you remember this. There was a horrible, like, animated Ronald McDonald for a while. Yeah. 
in the style of I don't know, it was like a like a almost um, Rocket Power was that the show? It was like a squiggly design. Yeah, no, was... I, okay, I vaguely remember this. Rocket Power does feel. I mean, it's it's Rocket Power came later, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, but it does feel like that kind of thing with like the real narrow neck yeah. and the squiggly line outlines and stuff. It was like, not quite Ed Ed and Eddie, but more defined than that. It it was like they saw this is a weird combination. It's like they watched Aeon Flux, the animated <laughs> show, and then they watched Rocket Power. Well, they, they, which I guess they looked into the future for that. Sure. And they're like, that's our Ronald McDonald right there. I do remember this. But actually. less BDSM. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> so Aeon Flux was a lot. To it was. That was like the whole deal. So. I I have Squire Friedel down as responsible, but he he was he was a career actor. He was doing sure. His thing. He was he was just doing his thing, and he he did it perfectly. Yeah, that's what I would have wanted out of a Ronald McDonald in that situation. Yes, I agree. Uh, so as far as McDonalds themselves, they contributed to this disaster one because they were kind of bullied into it a sure. little bit. <laughs> Slash, by their meat people. By their meat people. <laughs> Slasher's like, this is a bigger hassle than one's worth. Just fine. Do, fine. Do just the fucking go. Fucking God. However, they did immediately drop interest when... They saw the alien suits? <laughs> you would think. But <laughs> they dropped all fucks to give as soon as they made a deal with... Can you guess it? The mouse. Oh, the mouse. The mouse. The mouse. Why did I not realize yeah. the mouse was going to rear his fucking head? Ah. <laughs> Disney made like a giant money, money, money deal with McDonald's. And all of the plans that RJ Lewis had for Mac and Me were dropped. So like he wanted to promote Mac and Me once it was finished in stores with like big cardboard cutouts. You could like buy the DV- the DVD, the VHS at a McDonald's and all this stuff. I mean, that um, would have been a hell of a deal. Tie-in toys. And then McDonald's was like, yeah, 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 fine, fine, fine. But this hey. mouse, <laughs> which then they made toys with giant cardboard cutouts. I don't know if they ever sold the VHSs. I, I know they did have a VHS uh, special at one point because you could buy like a, a McDonald's edition of the Adams Family. Yeah, it was weird. It was weird. That... I, I don't know how to feel about that. That might be like a fever dream. I'm pretty sure it's, I'm right, but I, it could have been a fever dream. Sure. All right. Like that and like Home Alone. That I can understand a little bit right. more. Just because, like, you know, child defends himself from home invaders feels a little bit right. more within McDonald's' realm somehow than it was like a Christmas thing. America's like Christmas fam- favorite family of goths. <laughs> it was like, hey, buy this like 90s Christmas-ish movie at a cheaper price. Because you're also buying, like, a Happy Meal or whatever. Right, yeah. You're also getting your McDouble or whatever. Right. But R.J. Lewis had that dream first for Mac and me. Huh. Yeah. Uh, so the mouse popped in was like, hey. And McDonald's <laughs> was like, dump, basically dumped R.J. Lewis. Uh, hmm. Weird alien movie with this guy that does our commercials. <laughs> right. Disney. Right. Hmm. I wonder... So those are probably the biggest contributors, followed by the director, uh, Stuart Rayfield. Tell me a little bit more about this guy. I'd love to. (laughs) So he started out in film as an animal wrangler, which is why you have scenes with dogs. 
And okay, that's 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 how you. That's how there were so many horses. That's why there were so many horses. Okay, <laughs> and dogs, and dogs, dogs and horses. Um, I forget. There was there was like a number of larger like well known movies that he he'd been like the animal trainer on. But yeah, he's like, oh, you you want an animal? We'll get it from from Stu. He's got the horses and the dogs. Sure. Uh, I think some chimps. Let's not go let's, there. Let's not go there. <laughs> so, uh, but he had, he, he kind of graduated from that, moved on to directing a number of like smaller family films. So there was, there was a actor that recommended him to RJ to direct this movie. That actor was James Brolin. James Brolin? What? Daddy of... Of Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin. Yeah. What? Uh, he had worked with James Brolin on the 1981 film High Risk, which I've never heard of. No. But either James really liked that experience or really hated that experience because he recommended him. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you know what? Fuck this guy. Fuck this Mac guy. and me. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is what Rafel claims. Because he claims one thing. The producer, RJ, claims a different thing. Okay. And this is a, a quote. I was hired out of the blue. And the producer asked me to come down to the office. So I did. And he had the whole crew there, a whole crew on the payroll. It was amazing. He had the transportation captain, the uh, camera head, camera department head, the AD, the produ uh, production manager. He had everything already hired. And I said, well, what's the script? And he said, we don't have a script. I don't like the script. You have to write the script. You're going to have to write it so quickly. Uh, so prep the movie and write the script on the weekends. What? Uh, RJ d disagrees. <laughs> what What does RJ say? <laughs> he disagrees. Oh, that's it. You don't yeah. have a specific quote. No, no, he no. says, "No, that's bullshit." Yeah, he's like, "We were we were like moving into production quickly, but it wasn't that like that. everyone was hired." And um, given both their personalities, I don't know who's to believe. That oh my God. I could not imagine being brought in for a project like that and being told on the spot, like, yeah, we don't actually know what we're doing. Make it up. And you can, that, as I was saying in part one, there are moments where I'm like, this feels like it was, it would have been shaved off in like a third or fourth draft. Sure. Such as the children knowing that the Max it's... family uses straws to drink Coke out of the ground. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. He probably wrote that scene before they shot it. I believe that. Another little addition to Mr. Rafel. It's weird that we were just talking about this, but he was also affected by 9-11. Oh. Uh, he's he's well known. Not well known, but he's now known for not directing films, but writing political thrillers that lean um, towards the Islamophobic side. Oh, great. Okay. Uh, the... Reviews on Amazon for this book are exactly what you think they would be. There's a crowd that very much likes it, and there's a uh, crowd that very much hates it. Oh, boy. Would you like to guess the name of this book? It's very clever. Rage! Just rage? Just rage, yeah. <laughs> I was going to guess something like hyper-patriotic or something, but like, no, just <laughs> no, rage! Rage! <laughs> I also hate that book that doesn't exist that you just named, but no, that's that's too creative. This one's called Rage. Uh, and it, I, I didn't save the interview, but he's like, yeah, certain people are going to like this or not going to like this because I take I take a stance. I don't, you know, sit on the fence. 
Maybe you should sit on a fence. Sit on the fence. Maybe like just put you get your asshole lined up right over like the pit, <laughs> the point of that picket and fence. And just spin, spin, <laughs> just <laughs> wee. Oh God. Yeah. Oh, good lord. And that's all I have to say about Steve Stewart Rafel. Fuck, fuck that guy. Fuck. That Apologies guy. to Steve Rafel, whoever he is. Yes, yeah, so, 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 <laughs> Steve Rafel. You're fine. Maybe you're not. Who knows? Uh, maybe you accidentally, or, or accidentally, maybe you actually wrote like Star Spangled Eagles or whatever. See the, the <laughs> sequel to Rage. It's not actually like tied in, but it's in the same universe. It's in the spirit. It's, of, a- <laughs> it's fan fiction. Oh. <laughs> Why is that grosser? <laughs> uh, I, I also want to bring up two other people that worked on this that uh, one I'm mad at and the other one I'm like, I'm sorry. Uh, okay. The one I'm sorry for is N. Brock Winkless the Fourth. What a, a hell of a name. N. Brock Winkless the Fourth. Yes. Um, so that means there are three other N. Brock Winklesses in history. That is correct. <laughs> That's astounding. Okay. He, I feel for him because this was his first job as a puppeteer. Oh, no. And oh, no. Like, God, imagine, I don't imagine there are that many jobs for puppeteers in general, and you get signed for this movie that's being financed by McDonald's. God. How excited it he must seemed, have been. Yeah, like that's got to seem like such a break at the time, yeah. and oh man. He did it, and We're, he moved on to better things. Okay, what did he move on to? He did a lot of the puppeteering for the Chucky films, the Child's Play films. Oh, wow, mm-hmm. Okay. He did some work on Alien 3. Neat. Um, he was the primary puppeteer for the Crypt Keeper from Tales from the Crypt. That rules. And he did some work on the mechanics for Terminator 2. Like, he he did wow. a lot. Okay, so he, yeah, yeah. he blossomed from there. Quite a bit. Okay. Yeah. I was worried that you're going to tell no. me that he's like actually the guy in in fucking Good Morning that <laughs> that uh that is the snake that bites that guy in that trailer. Like I Oh god. That uh, good you know what? good for him. Yeah. Um unfortunately he has passed. Hell of a career. So it would be it would be and Winkless the 5th who's actually right, doing right. that snake. <laughs> right. He also had to start with a horrible film and work his way up. <laughs> But I just think it's wild that, like, if you look up this guy, the first thing that's going to pop up on his resume is Mac and me. Yep. And if you stop there, you're like, what a schmuck. Uh, what, yeah, but then you go on and, and you're like, there's gold. Oh, man. Yeah. There's some real gold there. Man. See, uh, that, that gives me hope. It does. You yeah, know, like, you, you keep doing it. Keep trying. <laughs> we all have a number of terrible films at the start. You've got to learn. Sometimes yeah. you've got to learn with a weird fetish <laughs> naked baby horn doll uh anyway alan silvestri alan silvestri he should have known better he should have honestly at this point in his career good lord he already had yeah, back the already future done. under his mm-hmm. belt uh so you looked up his resume i, I have his remember. imdb mm-hmm. pulled up right in front of me so just 1988 alone he did uh, in addition to mac and me he did who framed roger rabbit which is fucking great yeah. on all fronts. Roger Rabbit and the Secrets of Toontown, which was a, t- a TV movie, uh, huh. and I, I've never I've never heard of this particular one. But my stepmother is an alien. Porn? I, I maybe porn? 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 Porn?
Scorny Porny 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 Score. I Porny Score. I just feel my putting all my money. I imagine that is like a like a pony. Like I'm putting all my money on. Uh, well, score. Dan Aykroyd is in this, so I doubt that it's porn. <laughs> I hope not. Oh, that's definitely John Lovitz. Okay. Um, um, Kim Basinger. You know, Kim Basinger's no, in this. It's no, not no, porn. It's not, it's porn. not porn. No. Uh, oh, a very young Allison Hannigan's also in this. And oh, Seth really? Green. That's What's weird. What's this called? It's my stepmother's an alien. Okay. Yeah. Well, Fascinating. Well, Anyway, he uh, in addition to Back to the Future and everything that else that we just named, he's also done The Abyss, Predator 2, Soap Dish, The Father of the Bride movies, The Super Mario Brothers movie. The and good one. The good one. <laughs> Damn right. I'm still going to see. Yeah, me the, too. Yeah. Uh, he did some Tales of the Crypt. Uh, he did the cool. 1995 Quick and the Dead and the 1995 Judge Dredd. Uh, it's, he has a little bit more of a cartoony feel to him, a little... More playful than some of the other. Uh, Forrest Gump, Lilo and Stitch, <laughs> Stuart Little 2, Van Helsing, oh, no. Polar Express, Night at the Museum, unfortunately 2007's Beowulf, <laughs> those G.I. Joe movies that came out in the aughts in early in 2010s, Captain America the First Avenger. <laughs> that feels like him, actually. Endgame, Ready Player One. So... And most recently, uh, the Dis- the live action Disney's Pinocchio. Well, another Razzie nominee. <laughs> <laughs> if you listened to our Razzie nomination, you've got episode. another chance, Alan. Um, <laughs> so unlike N. Brock Winkless the Fourth, yes, where this was his first gig on his way to doing much better stuff. Yes, Alan's had a little bit more of a, a hills and valley. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, Amazing composer. Like he yeah. has done some genuinely incredible, iconic work, but he could have stopped after Back to the Future. A lot of I mean, I feel like yeah. most people probably fucking would have. Yeah. But like I'm gonna ride these coattails for the rest of my life right. and Unless you're John Williams and you're, you're gonna just banger after banger after banger after banger. John, you can retire. You can stop. You can stop. Anyway. Um <laughs> So that that's kind of the uh Quick and dirty on who is responsible for Mac and me. Yes. This this last little tidbit, and then we'll go to to break. Uh, my original intent for the fix, okay, was to do a full blown McDonald's land. Hmm. Kind of a either the alien is actually like a fry kid or something. We like make the fry kids trying to like find their way to McDonald's <laughs> or. or Almost like a, a Muppet movie where it's like Ronald and a bunch of the gang trying to like find the a, a fry kid. Yeah, However, that's one of the things that kind of kills me is like like the like the, the the producer had to have you know he knew he knew about all this. There's a whole mm-hmm. fucking mythology of like the uh, of the Ronald McDonald yeah. land people. And then I re- did my research. Oh, so it was a little bit before this that they shut down McDonald land. Yes. As far as having this lore. And they did this because the people who were behind McDonald Land fucking stole it. Oh, that's right. I've heard about this. Wasn't yeah. it largely robbed from like HR Puffin stuff? It was. Yeah. That's, oh man. HR Puffin stuff sued. Yep. And won. Yeah, that'll do it. They're, they're, I think, <laughs> I think like specifically Mayor McCheese was. <laughs> So stupid. I wish I could like get the court files of like 
I would read that brief. I would absolutely read that brief. But that that was like the turning point. Like, yeah, Mayor McCheese was definitely ripped off. <laughs> if I I found I remember watching a YouTube breakdown of this as well. Yeah. Actually, and yeah, there was some there were some things that were just notably like yeah. not even pretending that it was different. <laughs> if I were recalling correctly, they originally just wanted to have those characters. Yeah, the characters from H. Was it HR H HR Puffins Yeah. Um and the those guys were like, nah. Yep. So the, I will do it myself, except for do, except I'm just gonna steal it. <laughs> unlike Mac and me that was legally di- different enough <laughs> from ET, we were not legally different enough from HR Puffins stuff. Yes. Uh so they didn't start bringing in ele- bringing back elements of McDonald's land to like the 90s yes Um, i do remember some of that as a kid in happy meal stuff and mm -hmm. in play places um but sparingly they also they changed the designs up yeah because they learned probably from mac and me and they didn't bring back some of the more obvious characters sure so uh my my fix was not that fair uh and now let's go to break all right we'll be back Welcome back, everybody. Hey, Jack. You know, there's there's a a little bit more that you probably need to look out for in this fix. Uh, and it's not just HR Puffin stuff or the uh, or the Fry Kids or the you know the play the McDonald's Play World or anything like that. Did you know that Mac and Me is not the only '80s ripoff of ET? I may have smelled that somewhere. Uh, smells a good word for it. Uh, so. <laughs> I learned I learned I learned some stuff about a movie uh came out actually one year before Mac and Me. So you're saying Mac and Me stole both from E.T. and whatever I, this well, is. Well, I'm not going I'm not <laughs> going to assume that anybody in, involved with Mac and Me could have possibly heard about this movie. Um because all all of the shit involving this takes place on a different side of the planet, aside from like an actor or two. Sure. So uh, welcome to Laps Academic, a podcast within a podcast where I torture Jack with some more information that is weirdly relevant to what we're talking about here today. So before Mac and Me, in 1987, a little movie called Nuki was released, uh, directed by Sias Odendahl and Michael Paklepa, screenplay by Sias Odendahl and Ben Taylor, story by Sias Odendahl, starring Anthony Morrison, Sifue and Sifu Mlengjeni, I'm sorry if I butchered that last name, uh, Steve Railsback, Glynis Johns, and Ronald France. It is hailed as the first and the worst E.T. ripoff. Uh, but in <laughs> okay. order to give you a better sense of like wh- what kind of a shit show this is, I'm going to give you a quick synopsis of this movie here, but I'm not as scared of horses as Jack is. <laughs> okay. So we're going to play a little uh, game called... I see now. We're going to play a little game called Pavlovian Kissingers, where I'm going to give you this synopsis, and if it takes more than five minutes, Jack is going to play a part of a speech by one Henry Kissinger. Henry Kissinger, how the fuck aren't you dead? <laughs> I I also don't like Henry Kissinger. I know. This is, <laughs> this is not good for either of us. Well, I had to read about this movie. Okay, so. well. <laughs> All right. Three, two, one. Nuki and Miko crash on Earth and are separated, the former landing in Nairobi and the latter in America where he is taken captive and tested by the Space Foundation, not NASA, 
the Space Foundation. Nuki learns of Miko's capture through telepathic communication and is determined to get to America to save his sibling. Along his journey, Nuki befriends a talking chimpanzee named Charlie, two young African boys named Tico and Toki, that's not going to get confusing, and eventually, Space Foundation scientist Dr. Eric Harvey and head of the local Christian mission, Sister Anne. Tico and Toki, after being saved by uh, from a lion by Nuki, try to get assistance from their tribe to help Nuki find America, but instead they are banished because they believe Nuki to be a bad omen. Meanwhile, Miko befriends a supercomputer named Electronic Digital Data Intelligence, or Eddie. <laughs> Just save for that look on your face for a moment. Which he convinces to scan the globe for Nuki. Nuki is captured by the tribe and someone called the Corporal. Tico is bitten by a venomous snake and taken back to Dr. Harvey and Sister Anne for help, and he informs them of Nuki's capture. Tuki stows away on the truck Nuki is being transported on and frees him at a trading post. Dr. Harvey goes back to America for reasons. Eddie tries to free Miko, but fails, at least until someone named Pamela Carter arrives and decides to free Miko. The corporal, who wants to sell Nuki, tries to chase down Nuki and Toki, but ends up driving their vehicle into a fucking river. Nuki also somehow ends up in this river and just goes over a waterfall, resulting in serious injury. Toki finds Nuki hurt and unable to contact Miko, but somehow able to fly? So they fly for a short distance, until he crashes from exhaustion and presumably waterfall-related injuries. Toki wishes for his family and for Miko and Nuki's reunion, after which they are found by Sister Anne and Tiko and Toki's mother. Toki convinces them that Nuki is not a bad omen or whatever, and that he should that he's actually a friend in need, at which point he turns into his light form, because he and Miko are actually beings made of pure energy despite their raggedy physical appearance. Dr. Harvey returns in his helicopter with Miko. The reunited aliens rejoice and say they gotta go, but not before Charlie, the talking chimp I almost forgot about, asks to come with them. All three of them turn into balls of light, which then yeet themselves into space. You done? I'm done. Thank God I don't have to listen to Kissinger. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> man, I knew it was going to be shorter than five minutes. Come on, I'm not going to give that blowhard a chance. <laughs> I recently saw a picture of a biblically accurate angel with a clown face. <laughs> yes, you did. Which inspired me to draw biblically accurate clown. angel clown. Angel clown, yes. And I'm concerned that this image of our two fears. <laughs> oh, no. Jack is going to merge into Horsinger. <laughs> Horsinger? Like a Horsinger, but <sighs> an evolved form that commits war crimes, but also has a cop on its back. Oh, sweet Jesus. horse cops are the worst. Horse cops are the worst. Um, yeah, absolutely. Keep going. Okay. Uh, so what do you think Nuki's score is, uh, critic Ooh. score on Rotten Tomatoes? Um, nine. Trick question. It doesn't fucking have one because only oh, one because review. That's, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but it does have an audience score. What do you think that audience score is? <sighs> audience is the worst. Um, 23. In keeping with last episode, you're short by one. Really? 24%. And like I said, there are literally a bunch of reviews, several 
just I lost count of how many how many pages I looked through. But there's a bunch of them. Aside from all the ones that are just like, "This is so bad, I cried." There are a bunch of them <laughs> where like, "This is the worst thing I've ever seen." Five stars, like verbatim. That is several reviews. How, what about IMDb? It does have an IMDb. It does score? have an okay. IMDb score. This is not a trick. I want it to be one point something, but it's it's like two point nine. Jack, you actually got your wish. It's a one point seven. Oh, good. That's that, the most that, relief that I've feels... seen you in yeah. quite a while, actually. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. So why does anyone give a shit about this? So aside from the relevance of in today's conversation about Mac and me, Nuki was actually recently brought back into the public eye by the YouTube channel Red Letter Media. Most people know Red Letter Media because of their very long, very thorough, very scathing takedowns of the Star Wars prequel trilogy that featured their uh, their recurring character, Mr. Plinkett, who is almost certainly a serial killer. I've never watched this show, so this is all I, very confusing. Yes, that's fine. <laughs> uh, so fan, they also have a series called Best of the Worst, where they all sit down and they watch usually VHS copies of some of the worst movies ever made and just, you know, riff on them and comment on them and suffer. Uh, you know, we, things we can relate to yeah. in general. People have been requesting for years that they watch Nuki, but they they just never did. Go, but a lot of people actually went so far as to mail them VHS copies of the film, like, repeatedly. Like, a yeah. lot of people, a surprising number of people just owned VHS copies, or perhaps purposely found VHS copies to mail to them. They ended up with a collection of, like, 104 VHS copies of this goddamn movie somehow. I don't know how many that is compared to how many were made, but... When you're creating a series of VHSs, VHS tapes, is it a printing? Is it a pressing? Is it a... I'd assume a, a printing, right? Because you have to actually, you have to actually print the film. Yeah, yeah, kind of, kind of. It's. I mean, it's, it's, it's like magnetic tape, but yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that's a process, right? I'll ask a AI robot later. Sure, that's fine. Uh, they, you know, they might know the answer. They probably will. Yeah, I, for one, welcome our new robot overlords. So they did eventually watch this movie because they did a they did a, a whole big video about uh, about the strange world of VHS cassette grading and yes, auctioning. Yeah, yeah. Which, if you're not familiar with grading, it's usually a thing that's that's applied to comic books or mm. other rare collectibles. But because capitalism and weird people with way too much fucking money and time on their hands, it's been extending into things that were mass market produced, like video game cartridges and VHS tapes. Like, uh, the, the reason that this video came to exist was because a copy of Back to the Future sold for $76,000 at auction. Which, they point out, like, there are no rare, like error copies right. of this movie there are no like there's no version where marty gets shot by the cops at the end no exactly <laughs> like yeah it doesn't do what mac and me dared to do uh but yeah it's cowards it's so <laughs> it's sold for an astronomical amount of money so they were examining like what the fuck is the is the cause of this like well, how does all this work so in the process of them doing this they actually did sit down and watch nuki because they thought you know it'd be really funny if we actually got a copy of nuki graded which they <laughs> did and it came out to like an 8.0 the the one copy that they yeah. that they sent out because they they out of all their copies they picked the most pristine one um they also uh, of note tried to send in a VHS of a fake movie uh and the uh, the uh <laughs> the 
grading house, the grading house or whatever, did catch it and be like, "No, we can't in good faith give this a uh, give this a recommendation." But thank you for them. Yeah. So so it's not a complete scam, I guess. So after after they sent this in, they decided, well, you know, we'll we'll try to auction it off, and we'll give all the money to charity, which they did. They did auction off this this graded copy of Nuki on eBay and it sold for $80,600 half of which went to St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital and half of which uh, went to the Wisconsin Humane Society. Which is incredible. Which good, is good great. for them. These are the uh, same people that brought M- Morbius back into theaters a second time. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, but in order to inflate the uh, the value of this copy of Nuki, they decided... An easy way to do that would be to destroy the remaining copies that they had. So they destroyed 104 copies of Nuki by throwing it by throwing them into a wood chipper. And you have a very sad look on your face, I, which I do. I, I which I agree. Like I, I'm not one for the destruction of media. I I believe this shit should be archived. Even something as asinine as this fucking movie. As it, as long as they have. And, and this movie's problematic, and we'll get. To we will that, get I to think. that. There are reasons. Uh, there are reasons for that. Yes. As long well, as it, could it have is been worse. What? We'll get to it. Fuck. <laughs> as long as it's archived. Yeah. And we have this the study. Ch- would chip them all. <laughs> uh, Which there is at least one extant copy. I'd imagine more because you know they it got made into VHSs somehow, right? And also of note, while they were throwing these copies into a wood chipper, they received another copy, <laughs> yeah. which they then threw into the wood chipper, <laughs> along with the nice note that came with it. So with I, I also watched a little bit of them actually watching the movie, okay. which is as close as I'm ever going to come okay. to ever watching Nuki. I'm not. I, I will not. I will not. It's we, not going to happen. We watched the trailer. We watched the trailer. Which was- Awful, awful. So the so the uh, the video of them watching it, of the red letter media folks watching it, uh, centers on the constant screaming repetition of the names Nuki and Miko, a helicopter crash that results in a clearly not destroyed helicopter, uh, the repetition of the same science lab establishing shot over and over and over again, and a buck wild scene of Nuki going over a giant waterfall that is clearly just one of the Nuki suits they hucked in a river. <laughs> For their sakes, I, I genuinely hope that this is the last thing they needed to shoot with that suit. <laughs> so, Jack mentioned this movie is problematic, and I'm going to touch on that for reasons now. You now, you may have noticed that I said earlier that, uh, that... Wait, did I mention where this was made? I don't believe so. Oh, I meant to do that, actually. So, Nuki is a South African movie, specifically. Saya Sodendal is a South African film director. This was 87? Uh, yeah, it came out in 1987. Uh, so... Sai Sodendal has a couple of other projects to his name, but good luck finding anything about them that's not written in Afrikaans. I could, I certainly could not. Uh, Nuki is the only thing that has gotten any kind of uh, any kind of note, and there is and there is definitely a uh, room esque uh, cult, fo- uh, midnight cult following sure. surrounding it as well. Not to the same level, of course, but it exists. So, anything coming out of South Africa. In, in before the 1990s is coming out of a country that is under apartheid, 
That is an important thing to note. It's a fucking downer. It fucking sucks. But that that is ultimately informing all of the life and culture and politics of this country for half half a damn century. South Africa un- uh, operated under a system of apartheid from 1948 to a about 1991, arguably 1994. I'll touch on that a tiny bit when I get out of this awful section. Uh, it's a system of racial segregation designed to ensure rule and supremacy of South Africa's minority white population politically, socially, and economically. Uh, black South Africans and also usually Indian and, and or colored South Africans. That was the official Those terminology. finger quotes there. You can't yeah. see them. Yeah, there were finger quotes that I used there, but that, that is the official terminology that mm-hmm. was used were also they were they were all restricted or subjugated in myriad ways including the following where they could live where they could work who they could date who they could marry who they could have children with what transportation they could use what hospitals they could go to what schools they could attend what alcohol they could drink what trade unions they could join what beaches swimming pools pedestrian bridges public parks public toilets graveyards and drive-in cinema parking spaces they could use and in terms of theaters Black areas were completely restricted from having any theaters, while theaters in white areas were completely restricted from admitting black patrons. So, in a world like this, you're not exactly going to have the best opinions of black people if you are, let's say, a white filmmaker in the 1980s. Yeah... Apartheid was legally brought to an end in 1991, but was officially considered over in 1994 with the introduction of a new state flag and the first multiracial presidential election, resulting in the election of Nelson Mandela as the country's first black president, along with uh, fellow black politician and ANC member Thabo Mkembe and former white president F.W. de Klerk serving as deputy president. Now, what the fuck does this have to do with Nuki, you might be asking? Great question! So, co-director Michael Pap. Paklepa originally was not set as a director on this project at all, according to a recent interview he gave to Days Digital. Uh, fun fact, he does actually have a f- handful of directing credits uh, beyond this movie, okay. perhaps most notably as the director slash writer slash producer of Angels in Notting Hill, which features the final on-screen appearance of Christopher motherfucking Lee. Uh, what? Yep. <laughs> You know, everyone's favorite Nazi hunting, having heard the sound of a man dying, witnessed a man (laughs) killed by guillotine, met Rasputin's assassins, knight, and man who actually, and only member of the Lord of the Rings cast who have met J.R.R. Tolkien. And a vampire. And a vampire. (laughs) And also a heavy metal musician, Christopher Lee. He's not real. He's, what a fucking guy. There will never be another man like Christopher Lee. And, And what is the name of this film again? Angels in Notting Hill. Okay. Yeah. So, Is it also problematic? I have no idea. I did not look into it further. Uh, So through the 1980s, Paklepa was working as a film distributor in his homeland of Germany. So not even a South African man at this point. Odendahl was the South African director and conceiver of of Nuki in its entirety, up to a point, which we're about to get into here. So... As a film distributor, his company optioned Nuki for distribution without really knowing anything about it and before it had actually been shot. They they just just put the deal in place and thought, like, okay, maybe they're going to make some kind of kids movie or something. I heard it it sounds like he has an idea for something that sounds like (laughs) E.T. Their reactions after seeing, after first seeing this film, we thought we'd all die. (laughs) There was no South Africa. 
There were hardly any extraterrestrials. We basically just saw discussions between a nun and a helicopter pilot who were going on and on about how stupid black people are or something. Oh my god. Imagine that again and again and again at extreme length and nothing else. Oh. When executive producer Gregory Cascante asked if Pacleppa could fix these issues, Pacleppa refused because he didn't want to step on Odendahl's toes and piss him off. Instead, they opted to edit out the quote-unquote unusable scenes with the explicit goal of making the film less racist. The resulted cut was 40 minutes long. (laughs) Okay. Is that the cut that's been released no okay no oh no there's much more to this story oh, jack uh, in order to flesh out the film for release peck Lepa convinced a small crew to go to south africa and do some reshoots they were greeted with unexpected warmth and enthusiasm including from sias odendahl himself they were like fucking thrilled to have help to come on the work on this project okay there was virtually no budget for these reshoots very very little money and it was rife with other issues which first the alien suits. Yeah. So if you've seen the trailer for this, you notice they look terrible. They like they are haggard and ripped up and falling and falling apart. And there may even be an argument for these fucking things being some kind of racist caricature. I'm not a hundred percent sure. But the biggest issue with them is they're far they're far too small. <laughs> yeah. They are entirely too small. They they couldn't fit an actual puppeteer or performer in them. Like, usually a well-crafted animatronic suit will have ample breathing room so that a skilled puppeteer can move and use specialized yogic breathing techniques so that they're not, like, dying inside this fucking suit. Uh, kind of one of the big reasons Doug Jones is able to do what he does is he he's mastered some a lot of these kind of techniques okay which you know, there's a you know there's a story i think we've mentioned a couple of times where i it was either on hellboy or shape of water where a stunt man yeah. got into his suit for one take and had to be helped out of it so that he could yeah. rush out and vomit the actors they were using in these alien suits were children because they were so fucking small right. and they would start suffocating after three to four minutes nobody died i will okay. point that out nobody okay. died in addition to this, speaking of children, the two child stars, Sifue and Sifo, uh, the two black children who are following Nuki around throughout the film, uh, at the point of these reshoots, had aged two and a half years <laughs> since the original shot. Uh, yeah. So that's awkward. Uh, I kind of want to watch it for that alone. Uh, <laughs> I mentioned, uh, or rather, Paclepa mentioned that in the original cut, there were no, there's no footage of South Africa itself. Right. Uh, so they did get a whole bunch of South African B-roll, which meant spending a lot of time just driving around to various areas in South Africa. And uh, in the process of doing so, several people just fell horribly ill, including the director of photography, who at one point, Paclepa refers to it as a 40-degree fever, but he's talking Celsius. So right, it was a 104-degree right. Fahrenheit fever. Naturally, this production ran out of money before they could find the last location that needed to be filmed, which was... The Space Foundation. They had no actual set for the exterior of the Space Foundation. Paclepa tried to get Gregory to shoot some random skyscrapers in America, but apparently that guy didn't know how to use a fucking camera because the first reel that he sent came out blurry. The second reel that he sent came out 
completely blacked out. And the third reel that he sent disappeared from this plane of existence entirely. No one knows what the fuck happened to that film. So Paclepa was about to just say, fuck it, we're going to develop the film without these location shots. But then some random camera guy who works at the camera lab goes, I know just the place. And he goes, and he comes back three hours later, and he's got the shots. These are the repetitive establishing shots that the Red Letter Media guys were bemoaning. There's just the the same shot of the same area of this, like, vaguely industrial place. Sure. Like, maybe there's science done there. Who knows? Maybe they're just <laughs> yeah. making plastic. Maybe it's actually a vacant facility that's completely out of operation. Animal Who, testing site. Maybe it's an animal testing right. site. Who knows? Maybe there's porn shot there. Who fucking knows? <laughs> Whatever it is, they, he got a whole bunch of different shots of it, right. uh, possibly with some day for night going on over a couple of them. <sighs> Guys, please don't. He did it in three hours, man. I don't know what okay, to tell no, you. You know, that's fair. Yeah, that's uh, right. Paclapa had never, he had no idea who this guy was before this event, and he never saw him again after. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say it was Christopher Lee, but he did see him again. He did see him again. Yes, we know for a fact. So it could not be Christopher Lee. Could have been anyone uh, other than that, though. We can't really rule anyone else out, can we? This is such a bizarre story. (laughs) The completion of all of this footage altogether took nine months, which is three times as long as they expected, and multiple trips to and from South Africa. This was not done in one go. They had to convince this team to go back again and again and again, Germany to South Africa. In the end, Paclepa's distribution company refused to release the film, and they dropped Nuki unceremoniously onto television. After some point, it eventually clearly got put onto VHS and released in some fashion, because someone had to have found out about it. It may well have been sold to about 26 co- uh, countries after this point, he, but he's not entirely sure. His thoughts on the, uh, on the project itself, we thought we'd made the worst film on Earth. It's something I'd never done before, and I'll never do it again. He, and, and he actively refers to it as the most wrong-gone thing I've ever done in my life. And when asked about the Red Letter Media uh, VHS auction, he said, It's funny. It's nice. Why anyone would pay a fortune for Nuki is a mystery. But at least it was good for something. Okay, so he's got a he's got a good attitude about it, kinda he's sort got of. Got a pretty good attitude about the whole thing, all things considered. That's that's Nuki. That's everything that I've got on Nuki. I went through so many feels, so many feelings. It's a bit of a roller coaster. It, it really is. I'm fascinated. I I kind of want to watch it now. I don't. I <laughs> When I say that half of the movie seems to be just screaming repetition of names, that's not an exaggeration. Like that pops up in multiple reviews in on Rotten Tomatoes as well. Like it's not just the that. red letter media guys saying that. I I guess I just want to know if it's worse than some of the films we've covered. It has to be, right? What's, what would you say was the worst one? I mean, Saving Christmas for me is like hands down the worst one. But I, I would say I would... Saving Christmas is hands down the worst one, cause mostly because it's not a fucking movie. It's, it's not a, a diatribe. Movie. Right. Um, yeah. God, you're going to make me watch this fucking movie, aren't you? Jack, I swear to God. <laughs> if I can find it. I mean, I'm... it's it's on YouTube in like 10 parts. 
it's like blurry no, as hell. You, uh, no, you have to find no. a VHS. I find a VHS, you have to find a VHS, and we'll go and we'll go to my friend's place in Butler, and we'll <laughs> watch it there. Jesus Christ! And we'll we'll do an episode on Nuki, oh, a, a full episode. I'm, hey, let's go to break. Let's go to break, and we'll be back to fix to to, uh, to oh, fix uh, Mac and me. Hi everyone, I'm Lisa. And I'm Dawn. And if you've ever watched a TV show and thought to yourself, oh my god, that season finale plot twist was absolutely bonkers. Or seen a movie and thought, wow, I need to talk to somebody about this train wreck immediately. Then we think you'll fit right in with our podcast, I Hate It, Let's Watch It. We watch TV shows like Riverdale and Emily in Paris. And movies like Deep Water, Killer Sofa, Rubber, and Devil Illusions. And we give them the total rinse they deserve. It's basically group therapy for movie masochists. So come check us out wherever you stream podcasts. Hey, are you okay? Am I okay? Did no, I'm talking to our audience. You you did this to us. Oh, I did do that to everybody. Um, yeah, is everyone all right after that? I'm sorry. That was a that was a roller coaster. It, I, it was. Yeah. I th- you may not have expected to dig into a uh, or to dig into at least the basics of apartheid no. uh, in this episode about <laughs> Mac and me, but you're welcome. I guess in in my notes in my script for this episode, I just have blah 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 racist director. <laughs> Nuki, then I fixed the movie. And then that <laughs> one word turned into like a 30 minute section on apartheid. Yeah, it sure did. And <laughs> not just on apartheid. No, 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 not just on apartheid, um, but a, a wild movie production. Yes. Hey, let's fix some, some, I almost said Nuki. Uh, let's fix some, some Mac and me. Let's fix Mac and me. So. As we've done in the past, uh, we've kind of shifted from a full like, script of a fix to more of an elevator pitch. Yes. Uh, I, I, you know, I want to keep the name the same. Oh, no, I didn't. I didn't. I lied. You I'm changed the name of the film? To, to Big Mac and Me. <laughs> oh, man, you're just making it more on the nose. Well, I was like, I'm going to lean into it. Sure. Because I, I hate it as it is. <laughs> and I've only ever heard to it referred to as a 90-minute commercial. So just lean yeah. into it. I'd argue it's almost more of a commercial for Coke than it is yeah. for uh, for McDonald's. Probably because McDonald's was like, uh, we're gonna we're with Disney now. Yeah, that that's something got back at him a little bit. Yeah. We're gonna cut a half of the McDonald's scenes and add more Coke because <laughs> Coke don't give a shit. Yeah, for the theme of this Big Mac and me, <laughs> I hate myself. <laughs> I wanted to push the Americanization <laughs> towards the end of the Cold War, because uh, this came out in August of 1988, and the Berlin Wall fell in November of 1988. Okay. We're still in a very pro-Reagan capitalist America, and while I hate everything I just said- It burns. Yeah. The pitch is going to be fully that. Oh, God. It's, th- it's all of that. Okay. <laughs> so- I guess- <laughs> If it makes you feel better, this movie ne- will never get made. So, oh, good point. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, I was just trying to imagine, like, okay, so what if um, McDonald's came to us and they're like, "Hey, we need you to do Mac and Me, but like for ramming speed, and <laughs> y- you have to hate yourselves." And I'd be like, "Great, we're gonna do a Ronald Reagan era, uh, <laughs> ninety minute commercial." <laughs> well, by the way, you have ninety minutes to shoot it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's going to be about fam- found family and broken family, which are strangely themes that keep coming up on my fixes. I don't know wh- huh. why that would be. <laughs> kind of a mix of like Goonies with Lost Boys. Okay. I mean, that 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 sounds 
fun. That yeah, part. I, well, like the the vibe I want to give it is definitely more of the like the early to mid eighties style, which I think is what they were kind of going for. They just know what the fuck they were doing. They they because they they had to attend to the legally dissimilar <laughs> aspect of it all, right? And to kind of sell this to McDonald's. And this this put up put out by Orion. I don't think I said that. I do remember yeah. this being an Orion film. I think I think I I R. saw R. that and R. immediately R. messaged you like this is no Orion yeah. movie. I think they are back in some fashion. I think you're right. Yeah, though uh, it'll never be the golden days of RoboCop. It, it will not. <laughs> the underlying capitalist theme is that McDonald's and Coca Cola bring people together. It creates family uh, by creating nostalgia. Well, uh, <laughs> say I just. Feel some bile coming up, but uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's uh, I feel like I feel like exact the executives will eat that up. Yes, biggest change I want to make to this film is the design of these chicken skin testicle aliens. Please, yes. What would you do differently there? They're going to be rounder, okay. circular, circular because circles are a friendly shape as opposed to jagged and scrawny. Yeah. Circles are friend. I mean, I mean, Kirby is basically a ball and he's friend shaped. I, he is friend shaped. <laughs> um, I remember watching this, this video on animation styles and when they want to show a character that is friendlier, they draw with a, a little more like rounded edges. Yeah. Sort of yeah. There's shit. not sharpness to right. him. You want, you want to, you want to know that you can hug this guy and he's not yeah. going to stab your innards. Uh, which is why I'm giving him fur. Fur. And a tail. Oh, a tail. Uh, kind of a mix between a chimp cat and E.T. There will be no glowing heart or stretchy neck. That helps. I okay. Uh, E.T. scared the shit out of me as a child, <laughs> and probably led to me distrusting the government a little bit. Good. That, that yeah. I mean that last part. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's fair. <laughs> well, you've watched the cut where Spielberg replaced all the guns with like flashlights and well, walkie, -talkies. walkie talkies and shit. Yeah, that's yeah. real. It's, oh, now you were boy. right the first time around. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The a couple of changes to the plot instead of the. I guess they're not Martians. I don't know what they are. The aliens. Coxians. The Coxians. <laughs> Co the Colaites. Stroman. The eight. <laughs> Sorry. The aliens. Instead of them getting like hosed into the robot ship. That was fucking it was weird. Weird and not explained. Um, they stow away in the ship. Huh. Um, yeah, I think that would have been a lot easier to do. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> Um, Tone your fucking effects budget a little bit. And they are specifically sent by the Council of Furry Ball Aliens yeah. to investigate Earth. Okay, so they're not just like stranded here because they got haphazardly caught in a, in a, in a vacuum. Correct. Okay. Yeah. The satellite or whatever it was arrived on their planet. They're like, okay, well, now we've got to check out to see if these guys are okay or not. Sure. They follow them back. Their intention being that they go as a family, so it's Ma and Pa and the kids yeah to assimilate into american culture oh so they're going they're, they're going to try and and, uh, and blend in right away yes interesting okay uh and to do that well max gonna disappear in the same way like shit hits the fan he goes running off they get separated he gets separated the remaining family shaves so they can blend in more. oh the um so their, oh, that's their gonna be real weird. appearance is weird on purpose. <laughs> so when they shaved, do they then look like the, the, 
<laughs> awful monsters that we know from the the movie as it is. Yes, but not with that mouth. Thank okay. never with no, that, that mouth. That, oh man, that never with that mouth. No. So no one in this movie is dying from dehydration of Coca Cola. Good. <laughs> There's a dumb plot line. I know. I noticed you said nobody's dying, or you didn't say nobody's dying of explosion or gunshot. Did I keep that? <laughs> um, I think. I think this is a plot where I kind of like built the ship and sent it on its way. Okay. I'm like, figure it out. Uh, <laughs> Mac is not dying. He just misses his family. That's enough of a motivation. Yeah. No, you don't have to have him also like draining his own life force for some reason. Uh, I do want to put more weight on the individual friendships and connections between the human characters, but also the Mac and Eric. Sure. Because yeah. I feel like the the connection there was just like, we are told they are friends. We don't actually see any connection between the, the two the fr- of them. The friendship doesn't really make any sense. No. I also wanted to add some additional tension between Eric and his mother, who we looked up is played by, I think, Christine Ebersole. Christine Ebersole. Yes. I I like both their performances as with what they were working with. I think having them play off of each other a little bit with Eric, Eric's dad's not dead in this. They're just divorced. (laughs) That oh my god that was the other thing that was like I, I wanted to talk about that in part one mm-hmm. and I, I we had so much other shit to right. say that I for, I forgot like it's really not clear like why they're moving like it yeah. feels like it should be a divorce but it's never really stated well I think what happened was E T very famously is about a divorced yeah mom and her kids uh, and considering how much they are just kind of right. one to one copying yeah that i mean that does make some sense uh, uh however for this fuck it <laughs> cuz like i mean like there i mean there were points where i was reading a little bit further into it cuz mm-hmm. like like there were points where like she's getting a ride home from like somebody that, that they know in the neighborhood it's like you barely yeah. lived here for any time at all how do you know people so like i had already started crafting this story in my head where they right. where they had a divorce or, or where they're getting divorced but like maybe the husband doesn't fucking know about that yet because he's super abusive oh. and they just fled you made that story way more interesting <laughs> <laughs> i mean I, I also had to tacitly recognize, like, no, Joe, they didn't tell you that. That's just in your head. Right. Like, you just thought, you, know, you just made, you're, you're connecting dots that probably aren't there. It's they probably needed, that deep, my dude. They wanted these characters in this scene, so they had to kind of flip-flub it to make it happen. Yeah. Eric actively blames his mom for the divorce. Ooh. His brother Michael's a little older, kind of gets it. He's still, like, upset. But I wanted to build a tension between those three characters because those are the actors that can act. Yes. And then when Mac, the furry ball creature, comes in, Eric feels like he could have a friend to relate to all on his own. Okay. Um, who he can kind of confide in and, like, have feelings with. Does he still just whistle or is he actually talk in some fashion? Well, he's not going to sound like E.T. that kind of squeal screeches. Oh, God. Um, and he's not going to whistle. Uh, I think, I'm think i thinking a little closer to the sound like the gremlins make. What about scatting? How do you feel about scatting? I feel great about scatting, <laughs> uh, personally. But we've <laughs> we've already talked about my weird proclivities today. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> For this children's movie, we're just gonna have them do speak a little oh, gibberish or something. Okay, yeah. Um, maybe learn like learn like a, a word or two. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Gizmo learned some words in, in, right, in Gremlins. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? That's the name. 
along with the redesign of Mac, I also want to make it large enough that we can fit an actor in it and have him do stuff. Yes, a hundred percent. Yes, learn learn from Nuki. <laughs> Just <laughs> words to live by. Always learn from Nuki. <laughs> How do you feel about apartheid? Bad. <laughs> uh, I did forget to recast the older sister. Oh, the one the one that works at McDonald's, yes. the one that ends up dating Michael. Yes, kind of. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who did, who did you want to recast? Well, we have with the general rules of the the show, we can recast two. I got I have one for for Mac. I didn't have one for her. Like of the actors, she kind of felt like you could have thrown somebody in there a little bit more. Even though she that actress did do a bunch of other stuff, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, um, I, I mean, like I, the one on the one hand, I feel like she was fine. Mm-hmm. Like I don't feel like her performance was bad, but also her character didn't really serve that much of a purpose. You know? Yeah. I in this I change her to being a babysitter, so she has more of a oh okay, so she has a little bit more reason to be yeah. involved then. Okay, yeah, like the mom doesn't trust Eric because they're having a tiff. Yep, and the mom doesn't trust Michael because he's a horny teen, and he doesn't, and she doesn't trust the neighbor kid because she's the weird neighbor kid they just met, right? That has like a cat and a parrot that they never talk about again after that's the first true. Scene. I forgot about um, all the weird pets that she weird. has. <laughs> there goes the neighborhood. <laughs> you <laughs> fuck you who wrote that line was that ever funny no so for for mac i wanted um ed gale to step in ed gale yeah do you remember him we talked do about re- him before i remember that name where do i remember that you name from remember him from howard the duck that's why yeah, yeah. uh oh man because <laughs> right, it's like where we have the like, nostalgia for this actor i loved him he was, he was great <laughs> Just his ability to act in a suit that yeah. sucks so bad. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. And, I mean, given this production, like, even the version yeah. of the suit you're proposing is probably going to suck a good bit. Right, yeah. But I mean, still working off of, you know, fast food meat money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I think that would be a great improvement. Yeah, I'd, Holy I'd like shit. I'd see Ed Gale. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Some, somebody with, like, a little bit more rec- a little more recognizable for this sister. Probably, I would probably choose, like... A semi-well-known TV actor at the time. Because hmm. it's a small enough part that, like, oh, people will be happy to recognize a face, but it won't break the bank to bring them in. Sure. Um, yeah. I didn't watch a whole lot of TV in the late 80s, so. I mean, you were two. <laughs> <laughs> I did watch Eureka's Castle, but that was a oh, I loved Eureka's <laughs> Castle. Oh, my God. Uh, as much as I would love to bring Eureka in as the uh, the babysitter. Uh, the additional puppet characters would be hard to explain. Right. Then you have to deal with Nickelodeon. Oh, God. They already snuck Ronald McDonald in there illegally. Yeah. Right. Anyway. Um, that's weird. I, I have in here that I cut the older brother. Actually, like, I like him. So I'm going to yeah, have... No, don't, don't, don't cut Michael. He, I'm going to have him getting a job at McDonald's to get closer to the, sure. the sister. I, I, um, I like that. That that feels like some 80s teen shit right there. Yeah. And the, the nostalgia comes in, the nostalgia with like McDonald's and Coca-Cola comes in because Eric and his father, their thing was to go to a baseball game, which explains all the weird Cubs paraphernalia. Okay, yeah. And then go to McDonald's afterwards. So when Eric's bonding with Mac, Eric takes him to McDonald's to kind of like share him like, this is my love language. It's heart clogging <laughs> things. Um, I I like that a lot more than just the like, we're going to a birthday party, I guess. Let's right. Go. Yeah. <laughs> <That> terrifying <laughs> teddy bear suit. 
That's uh, awful. As far as like the the mood and style go, it's it's gonna be et but a little sillier it has to be because it has so to be fucking stupid yeah um but you gotta lean into the fact that yeah. it's gonna be goofy like just accept it so as as far as the ending goes after what happens to the mac family with them being chased with by government agents the aliens decide it's time to send in the armada <laughs> <laughs> and blast these filthy humans off the face of the planet natural reaction however yeah. however i think so uh <laughs> But the thing that prevents them from doing that is Eric and Mac and their friendship. And that saves the world. That saves the world. It's that friendship. Saves the world. And honestly, the family, having grown up in Reagan's America, uh, <laughs> really love their experiences and want to be here. Yeah. 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 Naturally. So the Armada's like, hey, we'll hang back for another day. Or another or, movie. Uh, uh, Mac will be back. Ma- Mac will be back in Mac 2 Hamburglar's Revenge. Oh, no. <laughs> rubble, rubble. Um, that one, the apocalypse, does happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Directed by a young and naive Vincent Gallo. Oh, no. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Let's end this episode. <laughs> I have some nightmares to go have. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Oh god, I had a lot of fun with this one. This, this was fun. This felt, yeah. This so Wayne, a, a return to form. Yes, a return to form. Thank you, so Wayne. Thank you for suggesting this. I hope you enjoy these episodes, and I hope everyone else enjoys them as well. If you did, please rate and review everywhere you possibly can. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, Stitcher. Wherever you listen, please do that thing. It helps people find us, and finding us is good. If you want to follow us on social media, you can do so on Twitter at DRazzledPod, Facebook at Podcast, Instagram and TikTok at DRazzled underscore podcast, and you can email us at DRazzledPodcast at gmail.com if there's something you'd like to see us cover, or something you'd like to see pop up in our Redbubble store, or if you want to reach out and talk about a collaboration. How do you feel like the Plague Dog should have ended? How do you... T- oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Yeah, let us know. How do you think the Plague Dogs, the 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 other disturbing movie by the guys who did Watership Down, should have ended? Want to see, hear rabbits scream and fight each other to the death? God damn it! Did we'll you enjoy that? Be, we'll be we'll be Let's back. Next time. Please join us next time. We'll be sure to, to razzle dazzle you. <laughs> Christ! I was gonna watch Come and See, but I was like, no, that's even too dark for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 